All right, so tonight's message is going to be a little bit shorter. Um, this is one that I think is also important because we often hear so many times that when Jesus came, he got rid of the Mosaic Law, that the Mosaic Law was this whole different thing, a brand new set of instructions, and therefore, you know, when Jesus comes and he gets rid of the Mosaic Law, so they say, you know, it's all done. So the Ten Commandments really don't mean anything to us anymore. Well, I want to show you tonight that Actually, it kind of if you remember when I've been teaching in the, through the book of Hebrews or whatever it was, I have this I like to look at it this way. You have New Testament. And then Moses comes and you have Old Testament. Jesus comes, you have New Testament again. Because in the New Testament, we need to understand that the rules were the exact same as it was under Abraham. Abraham, we know that there was a priest of Melchizedek. Those were the rules of the priesthood at that time. And yet Jesus comes in the priesthood of Melchizedek. Abraham was justified by faith, not by works, right? It was not after he was circumcised, but before he was circumcised that he was righteous. This is long before Moses and the law. A couple of other things that are very interesting is if you look in Genesis 26, 5, it says, Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, God is saying, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Wait a minute. This is before Moses. This is before the Ten Commandments. What is God talking about that Abraham kept his charge, commandments, and laws? See, people read that and they don't put this timeline, this association there to realize the law is there before Mount Sinai. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews, in the New Testament, we read this, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. So notice, God is saying he's going to make a new covenant, but it's not going to be like the covenant he made with Judah when he was basically delivering the Israelites out of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant. This is before he takes them out of Egypt, and he's saying they didn't keep my covenant. What covenant? It goes on, and I regarded them not, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now, <coughs> I have talked about this before many times that, you know, the difference is, is that God was going to put the law in our hearts when Jesus came. From stone on Mount Sinai to hearts in the New Testament. But if we talk, take and look at this New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament pattern, before Mount Sinai, where was the law? It was supposed to be on their hearts. And because it wasn't, you see, this is part of the thing in the New Testament is God has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do these things. To dwell in us rather than the tabernacle and his presence in us is what gives us that power and ability to keep the covenant, right? Now, when I say to keep the covenant, I'm not saying that by us doing anything brings salvation. I'm talking about a covenant always has two parts. 
Jesus paid for it all, but you still have to do something. You have to say, yes, I want that. I believe that, right? And so what we're seeing is that Israel wasn't faithful to the covenant. So God said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and I'm going to give you the law, but I'm going to bring you a law that brings condemnation. I'm going to bring you a law that that is going to be impossible for you to keep, but because of the condemnation, you're going to feel the results of breaking the law. I wanted you to obey by the heart. I wanted you to just have faith in me, just like Abraham was saved by faith, but you refused. And so he says, I'm going to take you out into the wilderness. I'm going to give you heart, uh, the commandments on stone, and we're going to see how that works for you. All right? So... Let me, before we get started on looking at this, what defines sin before Sinai? Okay, the law is what defines sin, right? Sin is lawlessness, John says. So what defines sin if there was no law before Mount Sinai? In Genesis 4, 7, we read, If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and it desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin, what, what's this sin that he speaks of? In Genesis 13, 13, long before the law, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. How about all these others that I've got listed there? If sin is lawlessness, and we see that they were breaking the law before the law was there. Where is that law at? Tonight, I am going to show you, just as an example here, the Sabbath. I hear time and time again that the Sabbath was never commanded in the New Testament. You see some of the other of the Ten Commandments, but the Sabbath was never commanded. Well, I find that interesting because just because he doesn't command you to do it, we saw that Jesus kept it. People say he broke the Sabbath. We've talked about that before. Never once does he break the Sabbath. If he did, he couldn't be the Messiah. If God broke any of the laws, if Jesus broke any of them, he couldn't be the Messiah because the whole point of the Messiah coming is to fulfill it for you. So if he failed, then he's not the Messiah. And so you've got to get that idea out of your head. So Matthew 24, 20. Speaking of end times, he says, And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Well, if the Sabbath is gone, done away with, why does Jesus care that your flight be on the Sabbath? There's a reason that these things are there. So we do see Jesus and his disciples keeping and obeying the, the Sabbath. So you might say they did command it, but by example. Now, what I want to do is go and look quickly and briefly tonight that you can see every one of the Ten Commandments that were given on Mount Sinai prior to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It's just that it was in a different form because it was not written on stone. It was to be, Somehow they knew these things. And it was on their heart. God wanted them to follow him because of a heart. That's it. Even we see fascinating in Genesis, the very first command was a food law. Thou shalt not, right? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a food law right from the start. But let's just look at the ten for now. 
We see <coughs> the first and second of the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, that are God-centered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you know, you shall have no other idols before you. Uh, in Exodus 20, verse 2, this is what it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. What I want you to see is the reason that these are given. This is before he gives even the first commandment. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You might just say very succinctly, I delivered you. And so because he delivered you, he goes on to say, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. And I've mentioned this many times that God delivered them from Egypt before he gives the commandments. Likewise, Jesus has delivered you from sin, death, and the devil. And now he says, if you love me, do what I say. Follow my commands. The same pattern is this. Grace came before the law. We often have it backwards that the law has to come before grace can come. That's not the biblical model. It is under the law to some extent. You need to repent, right? But anyway, let's look here in Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments, of having no other gods before him. Genesis 35 verses 1 and 4 also say Jacob got rid of all of his idols. Listen. He's saying you should have no other idols. This is at the Ten Commandments. Now, by the way, this whole grace-mercy thing, what, what I find fascinating is this. Um, he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the sins of the fathers, the iniquities, to how long? To the third and fourth generation. How long does his mercy extend? To thousands of generations. You see, God's mercy is so much greater. And I think that's important to, to point out here. But what we see commanding not to have idols, we see in Genesis 35, long before the Ten Commandments, Jacob flees from Laban. He takes Leah and Rachel with him. Rachel steals her father's household gods. God comes to him and says, Get rid of all these things out of your, your camp. And so he does. So it's interesting that he knew this was wrong without it being written down. They knew household gods were wrong. They didn't need Moses to tell them that. How did they know? There wasn't a list that we're aware of historically, biblically. Well, I think that God told them these things and had an understanding right at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And so, clearly, idols were known to be sinful before it was said, don't have idols. 
And that's just one of other examples that we could show you with idols before that. But I think you get the picture. Um, we read this in uh, Genesis 35 here, the same uh, verses here. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Purity, cleanliness, holiness was understood. Change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Notice he's building a what? An altar. Was this kind of like what you have, you know, in your church, a little you know, cloth thing and a candle on top? No, this was a sacrificial altar long before Leviticus and Exodus. And yet those things are there. Cain and Abel were making offerings to God as well, weren't they? Long before Exodus. And yet, the rules of Christianity for Cain and Abel, Abraham, Noah, all of these guys, Adam, was by faith you are saved, by grace. Right? It's what Galatians 4 is telling us. It's what Romans 4 talks about with uh, um, Abraham as well. So, clearly, there's an understanding before Mount Sinai. How about the third commandment? You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In Job, a lot of people say this is the oldest book in the Bible. And if you have questions about Job, talk to Julia. She has spent the last how many months? Years? How long have you been? I did Job a couple years ago, but this year I've been doing it since January 1st. Since January 1st, she's been going through Job. I mean, you should see her note, like notes in her Bible. Job 1.5, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Remember, Job was even making sacrifices for his children just in case they had sinned. Long before the Exodus. So, they had knowledge of sin. They had knowledge of that cursing God or taking God's name in any other way was sinful and wrong. Moses... God just writes this down and puts it on stone. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. In Exodus 16, verses 23 through 28, it says this, This is what the Lord has said, Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, boil what you will boil, lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it in this manna. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So Israel is reminded to keep the Sabbath And you might say, this is Moses, but notice that this is in chapter 16 before the commandment is given. And then in Exodus 20, we see the commandments also. This is before. So you don't remember something that's brand new. 
And he says, you're to remember this. That's part of the, in, within the commandment, remember the Sabbath. He's not, oh, by the way, I'm going to teach you about the Sabbath, and then I want you to remember it. You remember something that was from the past. They already had knowledge of the Sabbath, and it is embedded in the very commandment itself. We see in Exodus 5, verse 5, Pharaoh says of Moses, he says, you make them rest from their burdens. Now, wait a minute. When did Moses make the Israelites rest from their burdens? Before the commandments, before the Exodus, before the Passover. Moses obviously was teaching them to keep the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was established all the way back to creation. That's what Exodus 20 says, that just as I created in six days and rested on the seventh, you're to work six days and rest on the seventh. God said, you're to do these things. There's the why, but they had an understanding of it before. In Exodus 16, 28, uh, again, Moses said, How long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? Before he gives the laws. As a matter of fact, this is why he's giving the laws. Because you're not keeping them. I'm going to give you, I'm going to boil it down to ten. And there's going to be consequences if you don't. I almost look at it this way. A lot of you have kids here. And, you know, when you're kids, you tell them to do something. They don't do it. They don't do it. And they don't do it. So finally you say, all right, here's the deal. If you don't do this, there's going to be consequences. That's kind of what the Ten Commandments were like. It's like, listen, I, I wanted you to do this by your heart. I wanted you to do it just because you love me and I love you. But since you're not, I guess we're going to have to lay down some ground rules basically what it was like. But again, Moses was making them rest from their burdens. And then, by the way, as we talked about before, as an antichrist picture, Pharaoh comes in and says, idle, lazy. Just like we see in church history when they talk about the Sabbath, it says, if you rest on the Sabbath, you're idle. Exactly what Pharaoh said. How about the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. Well, we see many examples of this, but in Genesis 28, 6 through 7, Jacob obeyed his parents. Right? Jacob, when he fled from Esau, uh, his mother, Rebekah, said, Listen, I heard Esau saying he was going to kill you. You got to go. Uh, or, no, actually, back up. Rebekah says, I heard my husband, Isaac, was going to bless Esau. So I want, he's out hunting, you need to go pretend to be Esau. And he says, I can't do this, I'll be, what if I get caught? And Rebecca says, let the curse be on me. Let it be on me. You do what I say. And he does. So, we also see here in chapter 28, like I said in verses 6 and 7, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paden Aram. We see many times of obedience. Uh, even Esau, we, we see some failed attempts at it afterwards too. I won't get into that tonight. But nonetheless, we see that they, that was the standard. Later on in the Ten Commandments, it was like this. If you have one of your kids who is 
basically, you know, rebellious. You better be glad you didn't live in the Old Testament under, the t under that, because it says you're to stone them. Stone them to death. There's a reason that this commandment is given. It says, out of all of these commandments, he says, honor your father and your mother. And this is the only one that's got this blessing attached to it, so that it may go well with you. Kids, you want it to go well with you in your life? You want, you know, things to, to be good? Honor your father and your mother. Little side note here, when I go and do jail ministry, oftentimes I'll ask the, the inmates or the, any of them, can you name the Ten Commandments for me? It is amazing. Like less than 1% of the time that I ask this question, do they ever remember, honor your father and mother? Don't murder, got it. Okay, steal, they got it. But honor your father and mother, they don't have it. They never remember it. You know why? Because it wasn't important to them, and that's why they're in prison. Okay, let me tell you something. One of the reasons God wanted you to do that is because if you can't learn to obey your earthly parents, you're never going to learn to obey your heavenly Father. And let me tell you, you think your earthly parents have uh, power to discipline you. What does the Bible say? Don't fear the one who you know, can kill your body. Fear the one who can throw your body and your soul into hell. So you think your parents have power. They got nothing compared to God. So it might be good practice to obey your parents so that you learn to obey God. There's a blessing in it. That's part of it. Uh, we see the next sixth commandment here, thou shalt not murder, right? A lot of times people say thou shalt not kill. It is not just killing. Killing is okay. Murder is wrong. Okay, the Bible talks about killing people, and there are sometimes commands to kill them. Uh, capital punishment is talked about over and over in Scripture. But murder is to kill unjustly. That's murder. Well, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, Cain and Abel, we see that God cursed Cain for murdering his brother. Talks about the lifeblood his, his blood cries out to me, you know? Yet then we get to Leviticus and we see the life of a creature is in its blood. They had an understanding of that long before Leviticus. So we also see that there was a, a command not to murder others there in verse 15 of Genesis 4, right? So one of the reasons for Noah's flood even coming was because the earth was filled with violence. That was sinful, and they knew it. There was even a penalty and a command against murder after the flood before Mount Sinai. In Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6, it says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. He was going to require it from man as well as the beast. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. A command to kill him, for in the image of God he made man. Thou shalt not murder is long before Moses. 
How about adultery? You should not commit adultery. Joseph. Remember Joseph? He's in the household of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife, day after day, goes after him, trying to, to seduce him. And he keeps getting away, and what does he say? Oh, no, I can't do this to Potiphar. But he says, I'm not just sinning against Potiphar, I'm sinning against God. Somehow, Joseph knew adultery was sinful. He didn't need the Ten Commandments to know that. It was on his heart, because he had a heart for the Lord. He called it wickedness. In Genesis 20, verse 3, even the ungodly, the pagans, Abimelech, was rebuked by God for taking another man's wife. Even though Abimelech, I didn't know. I didn't know. He knew it was wrong. So clearly adultery is spoken of. How about stealing? Genesis 30, again, long before Moses, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me, Laban told Jacob. They had a concept of stealing and there would be consequences for that. It was wrong. They knew it. Genesis 44, with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. This is when Laban's coming and say, who, took my, who stole my household gods? And Jacob knew it was so serious, he says, whoever has it, he'll, death penalty. So they knew that this was a serious thing. The ninth commandment, you should not bear false witness. The very first lie that we see comes from the devil, which is interesting, isn't it? Oh, you're not going to die, Satan said in the garden. If you touch that tree, you're going to be like God. So we even see that the origin of a false witness comes from the devil. In the New Testament, we even see that he is, the devil is the father of lies. So they knew it was wrong to lie. In Job 31, verses 5 and 6, Job acknowledged deceit was sin against God. He says this, If I have walked with falsehood, or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. He knew it was evil to be dishonest. Thou shalt not covet. <coughs> we know that that was what Eve fell to in the Garden of Eden. They were very well acquainted with that. Also, Job in chapter 31, verses 9 and 11, If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another, and let others bow down over her. For that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity, sin, deserving of judgment. So, these are just some examples. All I know is that you cannot say that the Ten Commandments were new in Exodus. The conclusion of the matter is this, 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God. Do you love God? Okay, well, how do you know? Because he says, this is love. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. 
Under Jesus, the commandments are not burdensome. Under the law, the yoke, the heavy condemnation of the Ten Commandments of Moses, yeah, that's burdensome. You do it or you die. Or you don't do it or you die in some cases, right? But that's not the Ten Commandments of the New Testament. That's what has gone away. The condemnation. But prior to the Ten Commandments, here in Genesis, we are seeing quite clearly that they, if they loved God, they kept His commandments without having to even have a written one. I don't care if you have the Ten Commandments memorized and you know what number three is or what number seven is. It doesn't need to be written down. It's already in the heart. If you know Jesus, you know these things are wrong. Thou shalt not lie. Duh. Steal. Duh. Commit adultery. Duh. Keep the Sabbath. Should be. Duh. Right? All of these things are obvious. And so, yes, Moses, the condemnation that he brought with the, the, the law on stone, that has been done away with. But the commandments are still on the heart. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is what the New Testament tells us right here. And as I mentioned before, even the sacrifices were there. I mentioned about Cain and Abel. They were making sacrifices long before Leviticus. Noah gets off the ark. The very first thing he does is make a sacrifice to God long before. That might help you understand why when you read Zechariah, that when the Lord comes back, there are all these verses that talk about in the millennial reign and in Ezekiel, chapters 40 through 48, that there are sacrifices being made. Because you see, there are sacrifices outside of the sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood. There was no Levitical priesthood when Noah was doing this, when Cain and Abel were doing this. <coughs> and there won't be when it's going on in the New Jerusalem there, in Ezekiel and so on. You see, it's not the law that's the problem. It's our understanding of what the law is. A set of rules of do's and don'ts or the love of a father. The love for our father, I should say. Exodus 5.1. Again, the Ten Commandments, Leviticus, none of this has been given yet. And it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in, told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a what? A feast unto me in the wilderness. I don't know if they already understood some of these feasts or if this is just prophetic, but remember the other day we were saying that at Mount Sinai, it seems that that was around Pentecost. Moses comes down the mountain at tabernacles and things like that. Right here, God is saying, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let those people go because you need to go out into the wilderness and you're going to make sacrifices and you're going to have a feast to me. It was there already, predicted. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God. They were going to go and sacrifice before there was any temple or rules, Levitical things. So these are pre-Moses sacrifices that are being talked about here. 
Zechariah 14.21, Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Go look at Zechariah 14. This is future event yet. We're not there. We haven't accomplished this yet. Ezekiel 40, I mentioned it as well. There were also four tables of hewn stone for burnt offerings. Sacrifices. Now let me be very, 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 very clear, especially for anybody listening to this. We're not talking about sin offerings to be forgiven like the ones of the Levitical time period. Cain and Abel, they weren't making sacrifices to be forgiven. These were offerings to the Lord to honor Him. In what way? I don't understand it all. But these are not sin offerings for forgiveness. That's not what these are. Jesus was the only sacrifice for that once for all and never needed again. So be very clear about that. But these are end time examples here. How, how did Jacob know about tithing? We think about tithing as, well, Well, that's not a Moses or, or a Levitical thing either. In Genesis 14, 18, 18 through 20, we see he understood the tithe long before any mention of it in any other way. So, this is just a, another command outside of the ten. Like I said at the beginning, Jesus came in the order of Melchizedek. So you want to understand a little bit more what that is? Go back and see the priesthood of Melchizedek under Abraham. How are they living before or during the time of Abraham? Well, they were living by faith and they were keeping the commands of God because they loved God. They had a respect for him. I think this is Abraham here. I wonder if I had a typo there, and that should have been, been Abraham. Thank you for catching that. So anyway, um, tithes are now given to Jesus Christ, our high priest. We now obey Jesus, our lawgiver, our priest, our king. And that is just a small sample of how we see the commands long before Moses. So when you hear law, don't just allow your mind to go to Moses. Okay, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Go to Abraham long before. Go to the creator of the world. But don't go to Moses. That is the old covenant. Okay, Jesus brought us back to the new covenant and has given you his spirit so that you can say, I want to obey you, God. I want to keep your commandments. I want to be blessed. I want to honor you. And test him in these things. Test him and see if he doesn't honor you. No, no don't get me wrong. Again, I'm not giving you a prosperity gospel thing. Oh, you start obeying God, your life is going to be all hunky-dory. No, you follow God, you're going to be persecuted. That's a promise Jesus gave you. But I'll guarantee you, you'll be blessed. You're going to find joy among your trials. You're going to be able to get through those trials. You are going to uh, find other joys in this life. You're going to be blessed in your family. You're going to be blessed in your job. You're going to be blessed in your home. You're going to be blessed. That is a promise of Scripture. That's not Brian Young. That is a promise of Scripture. Go read Proverbs. Okay? So test him in this. And just... 
get out of your head that the law is just Moses, because it's not. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your word and for the opportunity to to come and and honor you in this festival here of Sukkot. We just pray that uh, you are indeed honored in our thoughts and our conversations in the time we spend together here, that we would grow together in a body of Christ and that you would continue to teach us your ways that we may know you and that we would continue to find favor in you because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. So in the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen.